let's talk about Elijah and Elisha. Just to recap this series a little bit, multiple times through scripture, we see places where water stood between God's people and God's next step for them. And so in creation, we saw that we can't do anything without God's word. It was only because God spoke that we have life, and it's the same thing in your life and mine. We need God's word as that foundation. In the next week, when we talked about the Red Sea, we saw that deliverance was just the stepping stone to surrender. That just because God took them through the Red Sea didn't mean their battle was over yet. They still had a long journey of surrendering to God and God's leadership in their life. And then last week, as the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, we saw that, hey, sometimes we gotta wait on God. Sometimes we have to just wait for His timing, that there's no shortcuts, and we're always gonna praise before the breakthrough, right? This week, this message is all about calling, empowerment, and confidence. Calling, empowerment, and confidence. And I encourage you this week to read the story in its entirety in 2 Kings chapter 2. And maybe even to go back and to read the other stories in their entirety. And to really dig into these stories and, and see what God is, is speaking to your heart from, from his word. But this today is a story of empowerment, confidence, and calling. And if I were to boil it down to a nutshell, I'd say this. In this story, we see God showing up for me like he showed up for them. God's showing up for me like he showed up for them. How many of you know it's, it's one thing to see God's power on display for a whole people? Sometimes you hear about God doing big stuff, and maybe you know God did something for the Israelites as a whole, right? It's another thing to see God's power on display for you and in your personal life. Like this is a whole nother level. It's like, man, if I walked across the Red Sea or the Jordan River on dry land, I was like, man, that was really cool to be a part of. Right? That was amazing. Can you believe that? Awesome. But it's a whole other thing for, it, for something powerful to happen to you. In the previous stories, we saw a whole multitude cross the water. Two, two different times. The Red Sea and the Jordan River. In this story today, we see two water crossings. So once again, the waters part and people walk through on dry land. But the first time in, in today's story, it's just two people. Just two people. And then the next time it happens in today's story, it's just one person. Think about that. It's like, okay, God did it for a big group of people, and now we see God people doing it just for one person. And I think that this is what the Holy Spirit does. He goes from the masses to the individual. You see, some of you come to church and you watch people minister, and you watch people do things for God, but maybe God is speaking, hey, maybe it's time for God to do something in your life personally. Maybe it's time to, to stop serving a corporate God and start serving a personal Savior. And so this today is an incredible picture of the baton of leadership being passed, of somebody, somebody being not just called, but empowered. You see in the Old Testament how the Holy Spirit worked. The Holy Spirit used specific people in specific ways for certain tasks at certain times. Specific people for certain things at certain times. But if you fast forward to the New Testament, everyone in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Everyone had a tongue of fire over their head. Everyone experienced the mighty rushing wind and the, 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 the shaking. Everyone. And so maybe if God did something through them, he could do something through me. Maybe if God did it for the multitude and then he did it for the person, Elisha, maybe, just maybe, God can do something for, through you as well. And so the story of Elijah and Elisha that we're going to look at today shows us the kind of attitude that we must keep as we surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. And so the title of today is just Four Attitudes of a Usable Person. How many of you want to be usable in God's hands? How many of you just honestly are a little scared to say yes to God to be used by him? And it's okay to be there. It's okay to say, hey, God, it scares me that you would use me because I don't know what would happen. And so maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you're thinking that, and that's okay. You're in the right place today because we're going to unpack four attitudes that we got to keep if we want to be usable in God's hands. And you, not, you might not be at that place where you feel like, yeah, you want God to use you yet, but let me tell you, if you keep following after Jesus, if you keep searching for Jesus, it's in your future. God wants to use you. Following Jesus is not an armchair or couch potato activity. It's a get in the game and do something with, with what he's given you kind of activity. And so let's check this out. Number one, in this story, we see a willingness to go no matter what the cost. A willingness to go no matter what the cost. Let me set some context for you. There's this prophet Elijah. He had done amazing things. He had had a battle with all the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and God won. Elijah called down fire from heaven. It was amazing. Everybody trusted God, and you know, and he just he made a spectacle of all the false gods, and specifically the god Baal, the false god Baal. And so Elijah had done all these amazing things, and one day, as this guy Elisha. You know, so two names, Elijah and Elisha. So one day as Elisha was just plowing his field, he was doing his nine to five. He was going to work just like you, just like me, getting up in the morning, doing his thing, putting food on the table, providing for his family. One day while he's plowing, Elijah comes up out of nowhere. And just so you know, Old Testament prophets were doing, were, they were kind of known for doing things that were a little peculiar, a, Peculiar, a little different. You know, things just kind of out of left field sometimes. They were known for just being kind of a strange breed, right? And so Elijah just comes up out of nowhere and takes his cloak off and throws it over Elisha's shoulders. Now, today, if somebody came and did that to me, I would not know what they meant by that, right? But we know from Scripture that Elisha knew what that meant. Elisha knew that Elijah was coming up to him and saying, You're, you could be my successor. I'm gonna pass on my job, my leadership, my influence, my anointing onto you. Now, Elijah could have had a lot of thoughts running through his head. He could have thought, who am I? God, you want to use me? I'm just plowing a field. I got my oxen. I got my plow. I've, I've got my, my work. Why in the world would you call me? But what we see is that Elisha was willing to go no matter what the cost. And so what happens? First Kings 19.21. It says, so Elisha returned to his oxen 
and slaughtered them. Let's just stop right there. The ox was his means of employment. It was his tool for work. Just imagine if you're in the trades and, and, and you know, God calls you and, and the first thing you do is, is, is you go and you just destroy all of your power tools. Some of you guys are like, oh, that hurts just a little bit. Like your tools are like, you know, special and no one touches your tools and no, you know, no one borrows your tools. They are, you know, so just think about that. Here's Elisha and he slaughters the ox. He uses the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. What an incredible picture of readiness and surrender, of saying, hey, I'll go wherever you want me to go and I'll do whatever it takes. I am all in. Back in um, Illinois, when we lived there, I, I had a, a couple on our youth leader team. And one day out of the blue, they're like, Joe, we feel like God's calling us to sell everything and go to Mongolia. If you don't know anything about Mongolia, it's a cold place, frigid, super duper duper cold. I've lived in cold places. Northern Illinois is cold. Minnesota, where I used to uh, live, was cold. Wisconsin, where I used to live, is cold. Like Mongolia takes it to a whole nother level. And for whatever reason, they felt like God was calling them. So what did they do? They literally sold everything. They burned the plow and then went to Mongolia. My wife, Jolie, when she was in second or third grade, her dad was a telephone man, working the lines, great job back then, great pay, benefits, retirement, everything that came with it, just a, just a, a like job that you have forever. Now the telephone company <laughs> now is, you know, kind of gone by the wayside, but back then it was rock solid. And so in a service, missionary talked, Ron experienced the call of God to ministry and specifically the call to missions. So what did he do? Sold everything, quit his job at the telephone company, cashed it all in and went to India. Went to India, ended up spending over 12 years of his life investing into kids ministry in India. Why? Because he had a willingness to go no matter what the cost. You see, you might not hear about it. You might not always see it all the time, but this kind of surrender and this kind of willingness still exists. And guess what? You don't have to sell everything and literally burn the plow, although some of you, God might be calling you to do things like that. But it's more than just the ox and the plow and the, and the, the act of, of, of getting rid of everything and following Jesus. It's a heart. It's a willingness to say, God, I will if you want me to. Whatever you call me to do. This is a, a no limits kind of thing that I've got. I'm not gonna put boundaries around what you could do in my life. It's a willingness. And so he burns the plow. He slaughters the ox. He has a barbecue. He has a party. How many of you love barbecues, right? It's a celebration like he's ready and he follows Elijah. What's the second thing that we see in the story? We see a willingness to stick it out no matter what. Now, it's one thing 
to burn the plow, have the party, follow our dreams. Man, but once you get into that dream, once you get into the day in and day out rigor of doing what God has called you to do, it is not always easy. Man, sometimes you feel like, man, I'm going to I'm going to tell my friends about Jesus. I'm going to I'm going to make a difference for God. I'm going to I'm going to on whatever issue, I'm going to be an, an an activist and I'm going to I'm going to, you know, campaign for change and do what it takes and I'm going to get out there and 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 do this thing. Whatever God has called you to do. And then you face opposition. You face years and years of obscurity. You face questions. Did God really call me? Is this really worth it? It's one thing to say yes to the call. It's another thing to stick it out when times get tough. Because with the passing of time and and relationships and and things kind of not always going the way you want, you know, when your energy gets depleted, Will I stick it out? Elijah knew what this was like. He had been on the run from Ahab and Jezebel, and they'd been trying to kill him. And, and he'd, he'd found himself in the desert with nothing to eat, and God provided for him. You know, so Elijah knew what it was like to stick it out. He had heard the voice, the, 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 just the whisper of God, just telling him what to do and where to go. But Elijah or Elisha was going to have to go through this process as well. And so what we don't see explicitly spelled out in the scriptures is how long Elisha was Elijah's assistant. Many scholars believe that that Elisha was Elijah's assistant for six years. Six years of just being at his side, of going with him wherever he went, of not necessarily doing the job, but watching the job be done. During that time in scripture, from 1 Kings 19 to 2 Kings chapter 2, there's no mention of Elisha's name. None. And what does that absence say to me? That he was faithful in obscurity. That he was faithful when there was no spotlight. When he was faithful during the years and years and years of following. You see, many times we sign up and we're like, okay, where's the fanfare? Where's the spotlight? Where's my participation trophy? Where's the pat on the back? Where's the, man, you're doing amazing. Where's the encouragement? And sometimes it's just crickets. And so fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. We're going to read a, a, a passage here and it's going to illustrate the willingness to stick it out no matter what. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, and you're like, what? What is going on here? Side note, Elijah was one of only two people in all of scripture to not die. Elijah and Enoch, two people, only two people throughout all of scripture that didn't die that were just taken straight to heaven. How cool would that be? (laughs) Like, God, sign me up. Let me be number three. Come on, somebody. And so when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. First time Elisha's name is mentioned since the, since the barbecue, right? And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. 
So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is gonna take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is gonna take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. Wow. So in the midst of Elijah's persistence, in the midst of Elijah sticking it out in the midst of saying, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking in it. I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna follow you wherever you're gonna go. I'm gonna be right by your, by your side. In the midst of that kind of, kind of bulldog grip that he had on, on whatever was gonna be next in his life, Elisha gets to see this amazing miracle. And I don't know why, but you know, sometimes uh, guys' brains are a little childish, right? I, I'm a dude, so I could say that. And so and when, I, when I read this week that you know, he took his cloak and he slapped the water, you know what the first thing I thought of was? I, I thought of a pool noodle. How many of you, you get that pool noodle, and the first thing you want to do is you want to slap the water, as, and it makes that big, huge pop, and you, know, you go up behind somebody, and you slap the water, and it scares them to death. And, and so that's the mental picture that I had when I, when I read that Elijah slapped the water with the cloak. And I'm thinking maybe Elijah is just, you know, he's just loving life, and it's like, I've always, you slap. Maybe he wanted to slap it so that the other 50 prophets that were hanging back there heard it. Whatever the case, we don't know why he slapped the water, but he slapped it and the water parted. But what does this say to me? That was a total rabbit trail and it meant nothing. <laughs> pool, pool noodles are not in scripture. But when you stick it out, you see some pretty cool stuff. When you don't give up, you see miracles. Longevity produces fruit. Some of, you, some of you might think sometimes, man, why don't I ever see anything you know, cool happen in my life? Why don't I, I never see these miracles that God talks about. Maybe, just maybe, you're, you're, you're hanging out on the fringe and you're not in the middle of it. Why? Because you gave up. Because you didn't stick it out when times got tough. Because, because your commitment to stay close to the things of God wavered. I don't know where these numbers come or where these um, kind of thoughts come, but you know, a long, long time ago, I heard that when it came to leadership, especially pastoring, so let's say you show up at a church and you're the pastor and, and you assume that mantle of leadership. 
Or maybe you showed up at your job and you're, you're given this position of influence and leadership. You know, some, some people say that, man, that everything that is happening in that organization that you're a leader of and everything that is, is going on, you know, isn't completely like reflecting of your leadership until about the three-year mark. So basically that you can be leading, you can be doing things for three years before it is completely, you know, yours and not a reflection of the previous leadership or the previous circumstances or, or, or anything like that. And that always just boggled my mind that, man, I've got to put it, and especially when I was younger, now I'm like three years, that's nothing. Like, <laughs> like I mean, you know, perspective has changed. But back then I'm like three years before, before it, you know, it's, it's really a, a reflection of, of my leadership. And then I, I, at one point I heard, I heard a number that is seven years before you really start to see some fruit. You know, some, some experts say that when you start a small business, it's, it, it takes seven years before you're going to really see if it's going to succeed or not. And so you see these principles playing out both in the, in the church world and the secular world. And, but but the, the principle is the same, that longevity produces fruit. And that sticking it out and, and, and just having that 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 commitment to whatever God has called you to do in life really, really matters. And we've got to have this willingness to stick it out no matter what. You know, it's funny that another number that comes up with the seven-year mark is, they call it the seven-year itch. That's seven years into your marriage. That's seven years into your job. That's seven years into whatever kind of venture you are venturing into in life is also a time when you're tempted the most to jump ship, to leave, to do something else. And maybe you've experienced that as well. And, and there's nothing magical about the number seven. Maybe it was at six. Maybe it was at eight. Maybe it was at 10. But your willingness to stick it out will be tested. What's the third thing that we see through this passage in this story? We see a willingness to grow no matter what the cost. A willingness to grow no matter what the cost. And so first we had a willingness to go, then we had a willingness to stick it out, and now we see a willingness to grow no matter what the cost. And so let's continue in the story. It says, when they came to the other side, so they crossed the river, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Wow. A double share of your spirit, of your anointing, of whatever is on your life, I want more of it. Can you imagine look at you, looking at your leader in the eyes, looking at, at the person that you admire, looking at the person that you're following and say, whatever you have, I want more. Because most of the time when you follow around a leader, you look up to them, you admire them. You're like, man, they're great. I want to aspire to be like them. And he looks at his leader and says, I want more of what you've got. That's some tenacity. That's some, that took some guts, right? And so Elijah says, you've asked a difficult thing. And he says, if you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your, your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. 
And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. This story has so much cool stuff. It's, it's almost impossible to unpack it all. But they, they cross a river on dry land. They see chariots of fire. Elijah is taken up into heaven. It's amazing. But what we also see is that Elisha, he didn't ask Elijah for something outward. He didn't ask for possessions or money or anything like that. And in the midst of this, Elisha experiences great loss. He, he has to say goodbye and lose his mentor and, and step into his future, which are all, you know, tough things. But many times, listen, things that seem painful, things that seem hard, things that seem, you know, like, oh man, I'm not sure I want to experience this, are launching pads into our calling and purpose. And it was especially that way for Elisha. I'm sure it was hard to, to watch his master go, even though it was God that was taking him. But this was Elisha's chance to grow. This was Elisha's chance to step into it. And Elisha had that promise that if you see Elijah go into heaven, hey, what you asked for is gonna happen. And so what do, what do you and I get from that? What do we understand? What should we understand? that if I'm willing to invest in myself, that I'll be ready when the time comes. You see, he desired more, he desired a double portion. He had this desire to grow, which I think every one of, every one of us can, can cultivate that in our lives. Mark Miller says it like this, and I think it encapsulates this so, so well. He says that your capacity to grow determines your capacity to lead. And not just your capacity to grow, but I think it's just flat out desire sometimes. You just gotta want it. You gotta want whatever God has for you and be willing to go after it with all your heart. Mark Miller also says this. He says, others control our opportunities. We control our readiness. I love that. Others control our opportunities. We control our readiness. So Elisha asked Elijah, I wanna double share. I wanna be your successor. I want to lead. I'm ready. But did Elisha control whether he got the assignment or not? No. Did Elijah control it? I don't think he did either. Elijah simply said, well, if this happens, then, then you're going to get what you requested. And so obviously, whether or not Elisha was going to step into that leadership position was not his choice. But what could he control? He, he controlled his desire to grow, his desire to be ready. He could, control, he could control whether he was gonna stick it out, whether he was gonna be by Elijah's side when it happened, whether he was gonna be there and be ready to take that mantle of leadership when and if it was offered. Elisha could only prepare his heart. He couldn't force the transition of leadership. I don't know why, but some of you need to hear that in your life today. You can't always pick your leadership position, but you can be ready when it comes along. Right? You can be ready. And if you're not ready, there's a good chance you won't be picked. 
man, when working for Jesus and for doing whatever uh, I can do to serve him, uh, uh, you know, something that I've seen happen over and over and over throughout my life is that if, if you want God to do something, dig a ditch. Because when you dig a ditch, he's going to fill it. Digging a ditch is hard work. Getting ready for God to fill it is hard work. But if you don't do the hard work, you've got, God's got nothing to fill. He will decide what to fill it with. He will decide what kind of um, opportunities he's going to give you. But it's my responsibility, it's your responsibility to be, to be ready and have the, the willingness to keep growing. Jesus said it like this, you have not because you ask not. So what, how would you rate your willingness to grow? How would you rate your willingness and your, your, your um, tenacity when it comes to being ready for the next opportunity that God has for you? The fourth thing we see in this story, we see a willingness to believe God can use you too. A willingness to believe that God can use you too. The greatest plague in our lives today is insecurity. The greatest plague for the church and and the leadership vacuum that is happening in our world is insecurity. Because people see great leaders, but they don't believe that they can be used in the same way. And maybe you just hearing that, you're like, yeah, I don't believe it. I don't believe that God can use me like he used so-and-so. I don't believe that God can use me like he used my dad or my mom or whoever the person you look up to in life is. But look look at what happens. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen off when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan and he struck the water with Elijah's cloak and he cried out, where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. Listen, whatever God has put in your hand, you've got to have this willingness to believe that God can use you too. You've got to have this willingness to step up and to do the hard things and to say, hey, if God did it for them, he's the same God that could do it for me. If God did it through them, he's the same God that could do it through me. And I've got to have the willingness to say, God, I think you could do that for me too. This is a big step. That cloak that Elisha took, it represented something heavy. It represented something meaningful. This was the same cloak from back in 1 Kings 19 when Elijah just walked up and threw it over Elisha's shoulders. He must have taken it back, right? That must have been symbolic because he threw it over his shoulders and just to symbolize, hey, I want you to follow me, but he must have taken it back, put it back on. And and here, all these years later, maybe six years later, Elisha finally has the cloak and and he's, he's got a choice to make. Is he gonna believe? that God could do through him what God did through Elijah. You know, I can can relate to this because I got boys and they're growing up way too fast. And man, any day I think about that, you know, Jason's gonna be a junior in just a couple years time. He's gonna be stepping out to do whatever God has called him to do. As a parent, it just breaks your heart. But man, I, you know, thinking back over all the years of teaching my boys to do stuff and, and man, from the, when they're little, you know, they, the, the, just the, the look and thought of power tools 
it's pretty cool. You know, it's like, oh, dad, can I touch that? And so, you know, I'd, I'd give him the drill and be real conscious of where it's pointing and let him pull the trigger with his tiny little fingers and, and see his face light up. And it's like, okay, but now I'm going to take that back, right? I'm going to give it to you for just to test out, but, you know, I'm taking that back. One of our friends one time, that our, their kid got a hold of a power drill and, and, and the little girl somehow got her hair wrapped up in it and pulled the trigger and it ripped a big old chunk of hair right out of her head, right? And it's like, and it's like yeah, I don't want that to happen. And, so, and so, so it's like you give something powerful to somebody who's not ready and you wanna be really careful. And so, hey, you're gonna take that back. And a lot of times though, we, we do this with our kids. We're like, we're gonna give you something powerful and, but they weren't gonna take it back and, and we never give it to them and just let them keep it. Why? Because we're not sure they could do it. And so too many of you grew up thinking you couldn't do it. Too many of you grew up thinking that, you know, you couldn't be trusted with real things, with heavy things, with hard things. But this mantle that Elijah had given Elisha was heavy. There was responsibility that came with it. There was power in it. And finally, on this day, after six years in obscurity, Elisha receives this cloak, and Elijah's not taking it back. I remember when I got out of college and I was stepping into full-time ministry, and I knew God had called me to missions and to be a missionary. And so I had gone through the process of appointment and approval. And, and I, I was setting out on my fundraising journey, which usually takes 12 to 18 months. And you travel around to churches and you talk about the vision that God's put in your heart. And you do something really humbling. You ask for money, right? And as a 22-year-old kid, I, I was young and dumb, and, and so it really didn't phase me that much. You know, I, I was pretty used to asking for money from my parents, and so well, how's this different, asking money from people? But, but you know what I wasn't ready for? The whole speaking part, getting up in front of people and talking and, and really sharing my vision. I knew what God had done in my heart, but in the realm of standing up here in front of people, I didn't really believe that God could use me too. I was scared out of my mind. And yet, people were giving me opportunities to speak. And I didn't know how. I didn't know how I was gonna make through a whole year of speaking 10 or more times a month and, and standing up in front of people and sharing the vision that God had put in my heart. I didn't feel very good about it. I had had a couple of opportunities to speak in college and, and kind of they had flopped miserably. And so three or four times into speaking on that journey, Something clicked. Something clicked and I finally believed for myself that God could use me too. But you know what? It came after a willingness to go. And it came after a willingness to stick it out and to fully commit. And it came, it came after a willingness to, to keep growing, to believe that there was more. And then I had to believe with all my heart that God could use me like he had used the other heroes of the faith in my life. I, many of you have heard my dad speak. He's way better than me. He's forgotten more than I'll ever know. And I grew up watching my dad. He's amazing. But there was this turning point where I had to believe 
that God could use me like he used him. Right? And so where are you at with these things? Many times we try, but then we shrink back. And instead of striking the water, we maybe just tap it a little bit. And we're like, I'm not sure God's going to do it for me, so I'm just going to take it slow. I'm going to have a backup plan. I'm going to have something to fall back on. Right? You know what happened, though? Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah ever did. Twice. He literally got what he asked for. The double portion, the double share, the double dose, whatever you want to call it. God answered his prayer. He believed that God could use him too, and God did. John 14, 12, Jesus said it like this. He said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, a lot of times when we read that verse, we're like, oh, Jesus did miracles. He healed the lame. Blind people saw, dumb people talked, deaf people heard. And we're like, God, I don't see you doing that through my life. But think about all the other things that Jesus did. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Could you do that? Yes, you can. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. He laid down his life for other people. Could you do that? Yes, you could. And so God might use you to heal. God might use you to do a, a water crossing kind of miracle. But you know what you can do all day, every day that Jesus did? You can say, I'll go. You can say, I'll stick in. I'll stick it out. God, I'll, I'll keep growing. And God, I'll believe that you can use me too. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. Let's respond to what the word of God is saying. You see, all of this mirrors what Jesus did for us. Jesus said yes to go and to leave heaven and take on flesh and to live a sinless life. Jesus stuck it out even unto death when he went to a cross and he died for you and for me. Jesus spent nights and early mornings seeking his father in prayer and growing to be the man that God had called him to be. Jesus was willing to be used however the Lord needed him and he believed that God would. And the first step to you saying yes to Jesus and to going and doing what God has called you to do and the purpose that he's given you in your life is to begin a relationship with Jesus. And I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that today. And so you saw it illustrated in communion. You see it illustrated in this message today. But if you wanna say yes to, to following Jesus, to making him your personal Lord and Savior, if you wanna do that today for the first time, you wanna give your heart and your life to Christ, just raise your hand. I wanna pray with you and pray for you today. You say, Joe, I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender my life to Christ and begin following him. If you're online today watching and you wanna give your life to Christ, just raise your hand right there in your living room and say, God, that's me, that's me. And right there where you're at, you can pray a prayer accepting Christ into your life. Here's just a couple things you need to do. Confess with your mouth. Confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. Believe that Jesus died on the cross from you and he rose again on the third day. And then invite Christ to be the Lord of your life. You can do that right now at your seat. You can pray a prayer in your own words to a loving Father who sees you and loves you and has a plan for your life. Amen. If you're here today and you say, Joe, 
I need to step up my willingness factor in one of these four areas. I need to be willing to go. I need to be willing to grow. I need to be willing to stick it out. I need, to, I need a willingness to believe that God can use me. If that's you today, and I'm gonna pray a closing prayer, just raise your hand and pray with me. God, that's me. God, increase my willingness. God, take the boundaries off my obedience. God, help me to follow you wherever you wanna take me, whatever you wanna do in my life. I surrender to you. Jesus, help me this week to recognize the opportunities that you give me and help me to be ready to meet them head on. God, help me to follow you with the same spirit that Elisha had that says, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go and I'll stick with you and I'll do whatever it takes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.